dead people like in graves and coffins? Walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. How often do you see them? Welcome to the 36th episode of The Fear of God. We are glad you are with us today. Typically, I've got some silly little silliness to discuss why Reed is not present, but I'm just so happy about springtime for Shyamalan, I just don't have anything on this final one except to say, Reed, there you are, my Hello. friend. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. I am alive and well. Thank goodness. I double checked with yes. everybody around me. Everybody in my immediate vicinity interacts with me. So I am, uh, yep. I am very happy that, uh, that things are still alive and well, which is great. Well, with, with that comment, I just want to say I didn't know you were funny. Oh, <laughs> good. I didn't quite know I was either. Um, so. Reed, today we we bring it home. Yes, we do. We we've we've kind of gone backwards in time a little bit. Started with Split and had a good time talking about that and Unbreakable. From there, we went to <laughs> who knew a classic of modern cinema, uh, <laughs> The Visit. I mean, just true. you know, who could have seen that one coming? I know it's like a di- it's like a diaper in the face. No, it's so true. Um, you know. <laughs> followed shortly behind by the village yes what uh we had a very robust conversation about uh can i interrupt you right there you can uh the sixth sense being the most popular of m night Shyamalan's films let me just make another pitch that if you just popped in and you're listening to these piecemeal and you skipped over the village because you really didn't like the movie or didn't whatever Please go back and listen to that conversation. Uh, Nathan and I are both very, very pleased with that episode. Proud of that conversation. I thought you were going to say we're very, very articulate and erudite, and we are all of those things. Um, yes, yes. But I, I really think, <laughs> uh, I really think that I just want to encourage all of our listeners. If for some reason you skipped over the village, please pop back and listen to that conversation about the village because I was, I didn't even quite expect. Uh, for it to be as substantial as it was. So, yes, I would just encourage listeners to go back. Uh, so we, 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 we talked about the village and then last week, um, we talked about signs and now yes. we are at our ultimate springtime for Shyamalan 
episode, Mr. M. Knight. I hope he's out there listening to these. Um, that would make me so happy. And if he is, I hope he tweets to us or something. I, yeah. I don't know if he is or not, but yeah, M. Well, Knight, we love you your never movies. Know. Yeah. Some, somebody somewhere has got an in with the night. Um, great. So today we are talking about not the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth, but the sixth since. As Reed, you like to remind us, not at all his first film, but no. unquestionably the one that put him on the map. I mean, oh, without doubt. Yeah, without doubt. And, you know, I'll, I'll reemphasize it in brief here that like, yeah, I, I had seen his earlier film Wide Awake and adored it. You and keep loved ignoring it. Stuart Little. Are you just, is that one just too scary for he, you? Like, no, I I tried to make a case for us to include it in our rundown, because what is scarier than a talking rodent uh, in in overalls or whatever it is he wears suits? Well, the biggest reason I skip it running through your house, (laughs) (laughs) the biggest reason I skip it is because he only wrote the screenplay, which is, you know, he he wrote it, but he didn't direct the film. It's not an M. Night Shyamalan film. Okay, it's an M. Night Shyamalan screenplay, but it's not an M. Night Shyamalan film. Uh, And it is actually a very good screenplay. Like if you haven't seen Stuart Little, I don't even have you seen Stuart Little? (laughs) No. I was about to say, I was no. about to say, it's actually pretty cute. It's very fun. I'm um, sure it no, is. Yeah, yeah, you should go watch Stuart Little. Um, but no, I had seen Wide Away. I read the book. So, oh, <laughs> as have I. Um, so I had seen Wide Awake, and I joked last week that I was probably the only person in the theater who went in and bought my ticket for like, oh, this is the guy who made Wide Awake. Like, I'm so excited because everybody else was just in there to see a horror film. The Sixth Sense flew so under the radar. I, this was amazing for me to stumble across. Yeah, it flew so under the radar that Entertainment Weekly's summer movie preview featured 134 films. Not one of them was The Sixth Sense. How the crap do you know that? Well, it's in the trivia on IMDb. Oh. But <laughs> You're like, no, no. I went back to 1999 and saw the Entertainment Weekly from that month. But here's what I do know. I do know for a fact that it was flying under everybody's radar because, like, I had the very good fortune, and I consider myself really privileged to have had this experience. There's a handful, maybe five or six cinematic experiences that were big, you know, earth-shaking sea changes for me in terms of, like, a film that is going to be indelibly etched as a dramatic cinematic experience for me like one of them was the matrix which also was the same year um another one was the first time i saw jurassic park in the theater you know like that's just that was very mind-blowing was tootsie right (laughs) i'm not that old (laughs) actually tootsie might have been in the 80s i can't remember i haven't looked it up because we're not we're this is not the love of god this is not the romantic comedy podcast okay um so but but i had gone in to see the sixth sense After its opening weekend, word of mouth began to spread about how good this film was, but I saw it on opening weekend because, again, I was very fond of Wide Awake. So I saw opening weekend, had no clue about a twist, had no clue. Like I was just like, oh, that director who made Wide Awake made a horror film. I love scary movies. Let me go. Let me go try to see this. And so I went to see it and was just stunned i was blown away by how wonderful and effective this movie was and it still ranks as one of my favorites and i just uh, yeah i have so much outrageous affection for this film and this is an in, one of those handful of just indelible cinematic experiences for me well, did you see it oh like, in, i've in got the a theater? i've got a fun story yeah oh boy. um well and and what's so what is so fun retroactively about this movie is you mentioned not knowing there was a twist this is before uh Shyamalan was Shyamalan Shyamalan 
Shamalana. <laughs> um, and, you know, we weren't conditioned to expect a twist. So, you know, you just, you just wouldn't know if you didn't know. That's right. So when we were in college, though, this predates our friendship. So it's kind of like it doesn't really exist. Um, I just sort of map you back on the rest of my life pre our actual, our actual time together. Um, yeah, um and so a, a former college roommate of mine, uh, Futrell, I went home with him to Virginia beach one weekend and there's other stories that could be told about this trip that will remain untold. But, um, specifically this roommate of mine was a big golfer. And so we go to Virginia beach and he's like, Hey, I'm going to go golfing all day. And I wanted to be like, why did I come to town with you? Like, that was, that was, so you're getting like for real deal play by play here. And I was like, well, I like movies. Will you drop me off at the mall where there's a movie theater? So I'm by myself in Virginia beach. I know nobody. The person, my host is off golfing. I don't golf. I don't want to golf. I didn't even know golfing was a part of this thing. Like, why are we, why am I here? So I get dropped off at the local mall. And that has a movie theater. And I'm like, I'm going to go see a movie. I knew nothing about this movie other than Buzz, which in 1999 just meant, I hey, I heard someone liked this and I think I might like it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I didn't right. know anything about it. So I go to, I, I pay my five bucks or whatever it is on a Saturday in 1999 in Virginia Beach at the mall. And there's like five of us in there. And it was glorious. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect which is like the most thrilling movie going experience period. Oh, um, absolutely. And was utterly unprepared for the experience of watching that movie. I mean, Reed, I, well, this is kind of on my scares, but when the poisoned girl grabs him from under the bed, Oh my God, dude, I went, <laughs> Whoa. And then started laughing at myself. Cause I'm like yes. looking around, like, did I just embarrass myself? I just like yelped like a little girl in here. And oh, so man. that happened and then the twist happens and I like audibly was like, Whoa, Oh no, what? You know, I mean, like there's five of us in this theater. I wanted to talk to everybody and be like, Whoa. Anyway, Did you so, yeah, see that? that was my experience of sixth sense. I know. And I, I never know. looked back. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. I absolutely, I absolutely adore this film. Um, so I just really have only one trivial bit here. And to be honest, this film's so old now at this point, everybody's probably heard this trivial bit. But just to point out, if you're rewatching this film, uh, I'm, uh, I'm starting to develop a bit of a teasing reputation for occasionally watching films in black and white that were not filmed in black and white. This one, I wholeheartedly recommend that you not do that with because the color red holds significance. And, uh, every time in the film, that the world of the dead is interacting with the world of the living, you will see somewhere in the frame the bright color red. Uh, everything from the doorknob to a ball cap that a group of children are, are all wearing. And to the uh, red dress at the restaurant, to the red church door, to the red balloon at the birthday party. I wrote them all down. To the red sweater on Cole at the party, to the red blanket tent in Cole's room, the mom of the sick girl's dress, and the blanket Anna's under in the end. 
all red. What? <laughs> I thought you were just sort of starting to started yeah, to break a hip hop down that there. That song ended pretty quickly. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, I mean, it's 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 everywhere in that in that film, and uh, you know, it's interesting. The uh, uh, the thing that I so love about Shyamalan is some some of those stylistic choices that he makes like i just i just appreciate so much those small little either like a use of color or you know the inclusion of certain trademark tropes for many this was the first time they got to see all of these things sort of taking shape i think this is maybe this can lead us into likes dislikes which the dislikes area is going to be short but uh for likes this is a fantastic script this is an absolutely stunning script the dialogue the structure of the story i think i think this is just such a tight well-crafted story and it's got a one just a sequence of absolutely breathtaking moments uh both in frightful and inspiring ways i think i te- i think i texted you because i don't see it in my notes here like re-watching it just this impression of what a perfect structure like it yes. just and 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 almost even in saying that it sounds like i'm suggesting that somehow it's predictable or something like that i'm not suggesting that it just is so tight there's no fat mm-hmm. on it you know the the act 1 and act 2 and act 3 have such clear starts and finishes yes. without feeling like choppy you know yeah i agree um so yeah i, I would totally agree with that and uh i will say cuz this will this will probably lead us into i'll i'll actually save that like for the end let me comment on a couple more things so the performances particularly from the big 3 haley joel osment oscar nominee bruce willis tony collette they those three in this film they are just absolutely extraordinary bruce willis delivering a very non-John McClane-esque performance. Like, he's so vulnerable in this, and he's so subdued and and sort of compassionate and caring. Not that he's completely devoid of that in his other films, but it's just not... He's he's. Not, you would never suspect that the Bruce Willis in this was also, you know, an action superstar. <laughs> um, he just said, delivers such a different type of performance than we had ever... I don't know if we'd ever seen from that point, but it definitely wasn't what he was known for, and this was... Absolutely outstanding from him. Well, and you, you made the reference a couple of weeks ago, maybe at the top of the series. I don't remember exactly when about Shyamalan being sort of heralded as, um, sort of inheritor to the Spielberg throne. And that's almost as evident in not just the filmmaking itself, but in his, the casting and the directing of the children. I mean, yes, we talked about Abigail Breslin in <clears throat> signs last week. Goodness gracious, Haley Joel Osment. Like, yeah, it is. It is. I, I sincerely mean it makes me a little sad that he didn't go on to more. I don't know if he wanted to go on to more or anything like that. But in, in isolation, like his performance in this movie is so mesmerizing and really so is. pitch perfect. I mean, there are it's it's a shame that some of these historic scenes and movies get so lampooned. But his his hospital bed confession of his secret is just heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. You know, yes. and it, it's gotten kind of yes. muddied over time just from, from, from parody. But I mean, you, you can't take away the performance he delivers in this film on any level. No, no. And, and on that moment. So this was, this was going to be one, this was going to be my sort of transitional. Like I have no dislikes on this film. Let me just go ahead and burst that bubble. There, there's nothing about this film. I don't like, but the, that moment that you mentioned where he's telling his secret in the hospital bed, that's a brilliantly executed film or a moment because 
the twist is right there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. evident in every frame. Like while he's saying this, he's the telling zooming. it to you. He's yes. telling it to you, viewer. Yeah. Listen to him. The camera is view is zooming in on Bruce Willis. And it, like, I never saw it coming. Of course, I wasn't expecting a twist at the time that sure. I saw this, but I never, I never saw that coming. Um, and you talk about Haley Joel Osment's performance, man. It almost doesn't get more beautiful. We t- I almost want to go back into every scene like, oh, what's your favorite scene in this movie? What's your favorite scene in this movie? We talk about uh, Ivy holding out her hand in the village. We talked last week in Signs about the whole final sequence uh, and telling the birth of the children, or, you know, mm-hmm. when they're boarding up the house. In this one, it almost doesn't get more beautiful than that scene at the end with Cole and his mom talking about, you know, when, yeah. when he finally tells her what his secret is. And both of them are delivering a powerhouse performance yeah. and it's so electric and it's so gorgeous and it's emotional and beautiful well, and just oh, and what what, so what makes that scene so much more potent though is the the level they bring to that scene although it's heightened in that particular scene just because of the content of it i mean that's threaded through each of their respective performances the whole film I mean, what, what, what they bring to bear in that scene is just the payoff of everything you've seen. I mean, I thought you were going to reference this because though I do, I, I echo wholeheartedly the, the car scene between Cole and his mom, but this could, uh, feasibly be a thematic note, but I'll, I'll reserve it from that. But my heart just skips a beat when he puts his hands in the air in the grocery cart. Oh my gosh. I mean, this, this, this child who is so, oppressed and just wants to be free of these things, you know, and is so fearful and just this beautiful, beautiful moment. And Shemelin is smart. I alluded to this rather briefly on signs last week about, or maybe I just thought about it and and didn't say it. I don't remember, but you know how he lets the camera hang out for a minute. Um, And signs, I think about Abigail Breslin dancing at the end, how that could have easily been just one light, little tiny comic bit and then you cut away. Well, she does it twice. I don't know if you remember that. Um, yeah, right, right. Well, that moment in Sixth Sense when Cole puts his hands in the air, it would be so easy to just sort of let us feel the sort of lovely emotionality of that with his hands in the air and then just cut away. But what happens? The scene, the scene concludes and he puts his hands down and he just has this beautiful little glance up to his mom and they, they lock eyes. It's such a powerful scene. Wonderful. It's so wonderful. I actually got a little, I, I don't know if I should say this. I'm, say uh, it. It doesn't, it's not going to matter much to listeners, I don't think, but I got a little emotional because Cole is nine years old in the film. My son's five, but danged if he doesn't remind me so much of my son. Hmm. And and I actually, it, it got to a point, my son was asleep in the other room the night that I watched this. And uh, I actually, when it was done, kind of getting a little teary, went in and, and kissed his forehead uh, while he lay there sleeping because it was just, you know, we've talked before in other shows about how, like, being a kid is hard enough. It's hard enough. Sure. And then this poor child, what he's going through, you know, the relationship that he has with his mother, it's just, it's very lovely and it's very beautifully rendered to a degree that I, you know, not being a mom, but being a dad, but I see so much of my own son in this boy. That's a trip. That's, that's a huge, uh, compliment to Shyamalan's writing and his directing and to Haley Joel Osment's performance that it is so broadly 
relatable in that in that regard. Or maybe it was just specific to me, but I just I, I could not escape as I was watching the movie so much of like, wow, this this could easily be my son at at eight or nine years old. And I love hopefully that. hopefully not with a similar affliction, but I understand what you're saying. Good Lord. Yeah, I hope not. Uh, a couple other likes. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. There's there's really, you know, if if you're finding things to dislike in Sixth Sense, you're just kind of a jerk. Um, which, which, which isn't, doesn't mean we couldn't, maybe if we just split hairs really bad, find some things we might improve. I don't mean to suggest that, but just, it's like, you know, it's so strong. I think it's brilliant to how the film, how Shyamalan saves. We don't, we don't see any of what Cole is seeing until after his confession. Do you, did you pick up on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Up until then we're, and man, I wish, I wish you could have those experiences over, you know, a movie like Sixth Sense, what would it be like now to just rewatch this or to watch this raw with no awareness of what's going on. But up until then, you're not really sure what to think of, of what's going on and, 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 and what's up with Cole. Um, and so I love that you don't actually start seeing the ghosts until after he actually confesses what's happening to him. Yes. I love that. And you know what's like about the whole ghosts idea? I was thinking this as I was when I rewatched it, I was thinking about the notion of like it's brilliant that he he sort of laced into the script other elements that would have been questions for an audience member. Like when when he explains why Willis can't see the rest of them. You know, even though you know, spoiler yeah. alert, Bruce Willis is dead. But no! <laughs> I didn't but, I don't think that's how I interpreted that. <laughs> but but like you know, but he laces in to the script where he says, like, they can't see each other. They only see what they want to see. Right. You know, which that's that's something we'll get back to in theme. But um, I think and I had a conversation with somebody online well before we did Springtime for Shyamalan. I had a conversation with someone online that says that they hated Sixth Sense because they said that the twist does not hold up on repeat viewings, to which I wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah. No disrespect to, to anybody who views this film a certain way, but one of the things they took to task was they said, look, he's in there in the, mo- in the, in the scene with the mom when Cole comes home. He surely would have recognized, surely would have recognized that somebody was not interacting with him at all. And here's what I, and I, I watched specifically when I rewatched this film a little while ago, I specifically went into it going, let me rip this twist to shreds. Let me absolutely go in there and say there's no way that he could possibly not tell that he's that he's dead. And I watched every single scene and here's what I will say. There is absolutely nothing that I could find on the screen to to undermine the twist. You would have to infuse beginnings and endings of right, scenes right. that we don't see in order to sort of tear apart the twist. And I don't think that's fair to do that to a film. Well, to, and, and to, to rip well, apart what you're not seeing. And to your point, the script accomplishes that. I mean, yes, it, yeah. it, 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 he gives you what you need and hear me. We can, as we've done, you can, you can take the task problems and, and lady in the water and the happening and all these sort of weaker entries. But in a movie as tight and crisp as six senses, he gives you what you need. And, yeah. you know, Heaven forbid you use your imagination. Well, what do you, what do you mean? Did he not knock on her door? Did she not let him in? Did he not say hello upon entry? Did he not walk in and sit down and ask for a cup of tea? And she said no. And he wondered what's going on. And then suddenly Cole's home, you know, like, come on, man, you know, like, like yeah. the, the, the ghosts see what they want to see. They, you know, it is fully within my, the, the scope of my ability to imagine, uh, that Malcolm, 
in uh, to his knowledge, those things all transpired, you know, like, yes. like, yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or then you're into questions like, well, what is the inner thought life of a ghost? Like, well, good Lord, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, did he just materialize in there? Cause he knew spiritually he needed to be near. Co- I don't know. Whatever. I, I think, well, that's there's sort also, silly, there's also evidence of other things. I apologize for cutting you off, but there's nope. also evidence of other things, not just, not just Malcolm, but when he sees the woman who keeps opening their pantry. Or yeah. their cabinets. Right. When he sees her, she turns around and is evidently speaking Ooh. as if she's speaking to one of her, yeah. you know, to her husband, who her abusive husband or whatever. You can't right. hurt me anymore. Well, she's clearly not talking to Cole. Right. So, it's not only just that they see what they want to see. They understand what they want to understand. They're having this sort of, and this is something I will definitely make a point when we get into themes, but they're having a very deliberate sort of experiential moment where they're experiencing things through a certain lens, yes. through yes. a limited frame yes. lens. And that's part of the theme of the film. That's part of what the film, I think, is all about, is well, about this notion of like seeing things through a particular lens. Well, and, and even Bruce Willis answers the question. He says, I failed this other boy. Mm. Like. Cole is very much his, you know, his rebound. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, oh, yes. All, all that to say, I'm simply trying to affirm what you're saying that it holds up. Like, the, the, yes. the script does what it's supposed to to make sense of all the stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unlike signs, and I would even say unlike the visit, where the scare factor kind of depends on a first viewing and a level of surprise. The scares in Sixth Sense hold up frighteningly well, pun intended. Like, they, they are still creepy. Still, I'm, I've seen this film uh, six or seven times, and they are I, still I did, creepy. I actually didn't put it on my scare list, but even re-watching it, I tightened up when Cole's taking a leak early oh in the morning. Oh my gosh, I'm I like, know. I know it's coming, I know it's coming, I know it's coming. Oh, there it is, oh god. No, oh. and all it is is she just walks by in this I big know. loud sound. Oh well, my the brilliance god. of that, the brilliance of that scare moment is, Theoretically, that could be the mom, you know. Yes, and, and he absolutely. certainly thinks so when it happens. Oh man, I you, yeah. Not only virtually everything related to the ghosts is terrifying. Everything related to any of the ghosts, except for Malcolm, because we you know we don't necessarily know that Malcolm is one. Everything about the ghosts is absolutely uh, horrific. Um, did you know? Also, did you know? Retroactive trivial bit here. You talked about the red balloons or the red color. I knew this because I'd read it years ago, so I noticed it on the rewatch, but he only is ever, Malcolm is only ever wearing the things he wore that night. I did know that. that? Yeah. You know, it's the suit. I did know that. It's the, it's the, the shirt coat, the vest and the the sweatshirt. Yes. Um, He only has access to those clothes that he had that evening. Um, which is one more, you know, area where Shyamalan was just so intentional about. Right. He, he knew where he was going in terms of substantiating this, this script. So the other thing that I had as a scare, because literally everything about any of the ghosts is terrifying. So that's that's all my scare stuff. All, even the kid going to look for his dad's gun and then he turns around and just, oh, nope, my gosh. No. Nope. Um, but the other thing that was kind of scary that was scary to me this time around and wasn't at other times, the way the other kids treat him, that's that's frightening. Like, maybe it's because of what I said earlier about, like, my son is sort of reminded Cole reminded me a lot of my son. But that moment when they're like, hey, we're going to play uh, a game. Locked in the dungeon is the worst scene of that movie. 
Like, that is awful. awful. Oh, it's terrible. It's that's terrible. Even if Cole wasn't seeing ghosts, right. like even if Cole, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, like, yeah. like the kid turns around. This is what makes me want to punch those children in the face. Yes, I said this. It makes me want to punch those kids in the face. Punch a kid because Cole turns around, looks at Happy Birthday, Derek. You know, like Cole's trying to be a friend, trying to be nice to these kids, and they're like, "What you want to do with it? We're going to play a game called Locked in the Dungeon." I'm like, "You, you jerks." Golly, I'm going to I want to strangle these kids. Those those oh. those Katy Perry's. Those <laughs> <laughs> Those Britney Spears. Oh. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh, they're just Oh, it's awful. Uh, for those of you who think we're just beating up on pop stars, that's a visit reference. But um the uh but yeah, I mean like that's something that just really bothered it bothered me. Like it's fine that it it's fine that it uh that it is in the script cuz it's pivotal to to that character's condition but it upset me. <laughs> it upset me tremendously to see those. This scenes. is this is a random interlude but but <clears throat> as we wind up springtime for Shyamalan uh in the way that I think it does some people does it bother you uh Shyamalan's increasing role in his films? Oh, like the cameo stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um so I'll tell you where it started to bother me was actually signs. Yeah. I think, I think, it's pretty, and the only it's reason it's pretty heavy in there. Yeah. And I think the only reason it bothered me there is because it took me out of the film. Like sure. at that point, I knew it. It doesn't bother me at all. That's not a cameo. Yeah, exactly. That's a part. Right. Um, it doesn't bother me at all in the sixth sense. Sure. Didn't sure. bother me in Unbreakable because it was such a low key sort of insertion. When's it happening? Uh, and Unbreakable is the drug dealer at the stadium. Uh, oh, right, so he, right, and, right. and, uh, David Dunn knew that he was a drug dealer, but when he patted him down, he didn't find anything on him. I will tell you the only cameo, and it's not a cameo, it's again, it's part. The only part that I would say, like, hey man, you, you, I disagree with him including him in this is including himself as the writer in yeah. uh, Lady in the Water yeah. because it feels too self-aggrandizing. Right. And right. that's, that's why I'm bothered by it. Him being any other part in Lady in the Water, I don't think I would have minded that much. Again, it might have taken me out of things, but well, I mean, if he being... was the lady, you're gonna have to change the title a little bit, or you that's know, true. Some <laughs> oh, the jokes that come to my head. So, um, but I mean, it, it honestly doesn't bother me that he's a cameo in the films. To it, to, to any more, like I kind of look for him, like his cameo in Split. I adored. I thought, oh, there he is. This is fun. Like yeah. I don't mind. I think where I mind it is when he does give himself. Sort of these more Narrative. vital parts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then, again, in Signs, the fact that he cast himself as that doesn't bother me, but it took me out of the movie. Yeah. So, any scene that he's in, it took me out of the film that he's that character in that movie. Uh, in Lady in the Water, it kind of bothered me a little bit. But in any of the other parts, it's just sort of a thing where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is just a thing that people do. I'm never bothered by directors sort of making little cameos, even with lines or something, you know, like... Uh, this is random, but like Kenneth Lonergan is in Manchester by the Sea for a minute, you know, and really? and yeah, so like lots of directors do it. Shyamalan does it frequently, so he gets kind of taken to task for it. But tons of directors insert themselves either in a I shot mean, or Peter in Jackson a line. did it in all of the Lord of the Rings. Wow. Okay. See. So. So yeah. yeah. I did, actually, he's, didn't at, know that uh, he's at the Prancing Pony in Fellowship. Or he's on, oh, he's, he's, he's on the way while the hobbits are making their way to it. I don't remember what he is in Two Towers, but in Return of the King, wow. he's one of the, 
one of the pirates on that stupid ship that Aragorn takes. Anyway, that's that, oh, that just, one. Yes. <laughs> Peter Jackson shows up in all three of those. Wow. See, so yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I think he just, I think Shyamalan just gets taken to task for it because he does it so frequently. And I think partially because he started casting himself as pivotal roles. Right. So because of that, then it's, it's a little different, but even then, you know, I mean, you get, your freaking Eastwoods and your Gibsons who cast themselves as the lead and then direct the film, you know, like that, like I think, I guess I'm just trying to say it doesn't bother me. I think that the only one that felt too self aggrandizing for me was casting himself as the, you know, earth shaking writer in lady in right, the water. Right. Um, that, that one felt a bit too self promotional, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not bothered at all. Cool. Almost at all by him. I, I would, I would, I would more or less agree with that. So yeah, scary stuff locked in the dungeon is terrifying. I, oh. I feel like I'm not ready necessarily to go to theme yet, but because I, I just can't get the relationships. If if I guess this is straddling likes and theme, but you know the relationships are so so strong in this movie. You know, yes, uh, Cole and his mom, Cole and Malcolm, those are such well defined, well performed. So yeah, let's 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 get into theme some. Are you ready? Yeah. You feel, you feel ready? Oh, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm totally I ready. I, like, I think my hesitance is just the further we get to theme and the further we get into it and the closer we get to the end, the more we're going to be done with springtime for Shyamalan. We don't want this to stop. We don't want to. Well, we could always tag in for an episode on the happening. No, no, no that's not going to, no, no, no. We're get, no. I was going to say we could do summertime for Shyamalan, but there's nothing else that's worth covering. No. But you know what? He's going to make another movie. Eventually. Hopefully next year. So yeah. I was, I had two, I had two themes to draw on, and one of them I kind of talked a little bit about last week with Signs, but I think Sixth Sense is, is much more on the nose about this and says says things better. But communication is all over this film. Just just effective communication, the art of listening, the art of speaking. The ghosts are trying to communicate with Cole. Cole and his mom have, in some ways, healthy communications and, in some ways, unhealthy communications until the end. So, the necessity of listening and the necessity of communication is just everywhere in this film. And I think this film is a great example of, you know, just the need to have good communication in your relationships. Um, And the desire that everybody has, living or dead, apparently, to be heard and to be understood, you know. I think that's that's something that almost everybody can relate to like the, the need and the desire to be heard. Well, it's, it's funny you frame it that way. Actually, the, the word I used when I wrote it down, but a similar idea was confession. Oh yeah. And whether ultimately Malcolm is meant to be the recipient of a problem to be solved clearly is the case, but you know, it does say something that he's a therapist, you know, he's a child psychologist, like, right. His, right. his role vocationally was to sort of receive the struggles and pains and confessions of children. Yeah. I, I really, uh, th- there's, there's a way in which this movie is so heartbreaking and, and, and as a parent and, and not even as a parent, but as one who was once a child, you know, you just watch what Cole goes through and what the people around him go through with him. And, it, you know, such empathy gets developed. I texted you this and I wrote it down. Reed, I cannot articulate. I cannot put into words how moving uh, in, in a, in a tear inducing way it is that not just the sort of mildly comic bit when he takes it, but that Cole has the ceramic Jesus in his safety tent. Yes. 
Yes. You know, and what I wrote down was the comforter. And I mean, I, you know, I don't like saying things like this, but there's a way in which it wouldn't surprise me to, to know that Shyamalan was actually a deep person of spiritual Judeo Christian faith. I mean, you, you, there's such an orthodox sort of faithful life being presented in the, some of these movies, like the, the iconography of that Jesus being what brings him comfort is so deeply moving, uh, yeah. to me. You know, something else, this, it reminded me a little bit of witches because I wrote down as a parent, you want so badly to trust and believe your kids, but it is so hard sometimes. Right. You know? Right. I thought about that. I thought about that when I was watching the scene where he tells her about the bumblebee pendant. And I remember again, so much. I know for a fact that I've, that I've seen this film since my son's been born, but I think this was the first viewing since my son's been like, Four sure. or five years old, where right. he's navigating through the world and interacting in different ways and everything. But in that moment, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I would be that parent. Right. I would be that parent that is like, stop lying to me. I don't know why you're lying. You're pretending. I've been that parent. I've been that parent. He tells me something. I had an experience not that long ago. Okay. To introduce some levity in the midst of our themes. Uh, I I had this moment not that long ago where like he keeps saying like, Hey, I want to hear this song. And he sings a little bit of it. And it was like City of Wonder Day. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And I was like, and I even told him, I pressed it. I was like, did you make that song up? No, I didn't make that song up. And I was like, you made that song up. Just tell me you made that song up, you know, because th- there's not a song that exists like that. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, City of Wonder Day. I don't, I don't have that song. And, and, and he's sitting there. He's like, no, daddy, you played it for me. Like, and I was like, I do not know what you're talking about. And I'm starting to get frustrated because I'm sitting here thinking like, he's, he's telling me this made up song and insisting that I did it or whatever. And then all of a sudden I asked him, I was like, sing me a little bit of it. Like, I'm starting to get frustrated. So I was like, sing me a little bit of it. So he starts singing a little bit of it. It's, um, it was white and nerdy by Weird Al Yankovic. Wow. And, wow. and, it, and, it, and he was right. He just didn't understand the words that were being right, said. Right, right. So he's, he's mimicking whatever his brain could conceptualize. And the moment he said it, I apologized profusely to him as I find myself doing more and more as a father, the older my son gets. But I so apologize. We all just, we all just judged you as a parent and as a music listener. Just well, one uh, story. That's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I try to just put my heart on my sleeve here at the fear yeah, of God. Yeah. But, um, but I, that having been said, it is so easy to be in this state. You know, kids have a vibrant imagination. Like, oh, yeah, I, don't, I would love to have believed that I was going to be the parent that always believed his child beforehand. But just life takes different turns sometimes. And that speaks to a matter of, again, getting back to this communication and sometimes just like a level of trust. Why would my son open up to me if I don't continually try to better foster a good listening or a general trust that I'm giving to him? You know, right. it can be so hard to to just believe sometimes that they're being honest and forthcoming with you. But children in general, I think they have to learn the skill of lying. I, I do think that they they lie, but I think that's something that they have to learn. And I just I guess I just wish I was a little bit more. With my son, I guess I was a little bit more inclined, even some of the crazy things that I think he says to just be a little bit more like, oh, okay, he's probably tapping into something that is real and that is true. Sure. You know? Well, and, um, and, and you're, you're brushing up against, uh, uh, something I wrote down and I actually tweeted it the day I watched this movie, but this, the, the, the beautiful yet sad scene, as so many of them in this movie are when, when Malcolm is withdrawing his aid from Cole. Oh, and man. Cole, 
scooches the penny back across the table and he just says, some magic is real. Yes. And, um, my gosh, what an, like, I receive that on a technical level and on an intellectual level as what a beautiful piece of script writing. I receive that as a human as what an indictment of the adult world. Oh man. Couldn't agree more. You know, like, because is, is, is this a heightened movie like so many are? Yes. Would I be hard pressed to believe that my child or a child in my life is seeing dead people and needs to learn how to actually offer them aid? Yeah, that'd be a stretch. But are there actual real moments when my adult frame of the world gets, gets sort of poked and prodded by a child's yeah. willingness to go places imaginatively that I'm more quick to abandon these days? And I need mm. to pay attention. Yes, absolutely. I don't know. I just, I was, I was really impressed by that moment and chastened by it, you know. Yes. And, and I, we didn't pre-brief this moment, uh, but your inclusion of the, just the, the indictment of the adult world is just firing all my cylinders because I think that's something that's, this bleeds into the second theme that I had, but you articulated it far better than I'm about to. Just that. Perception is such a huge element of what's going on. I wrote down the two words. I wrote down communication and I wrote down perception. So before I unpack this for a moment, what I did write down is when he says the line, they only see what they want to see. I wrote down, don't we all? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another thing you just articulated, the indictment of the adult world. I'm sitting here like in my arrogance at 36 years old, in my arrogance at how much I think I understand. Yet. When I was a teenager and when I was a 20-something, I did the same thing. Like, I understand so many things about the world. I understand this and I understand that. What people need to do is this. What people need to do is that. They need to, you know, behave this way. They need to do this thing. They need to do that thing. And then I, at 36, would look back at my teenage and 20-year-old self and I wonder if I would even get along with that person. Sure. I wonder if I would even have much in common with their their value set, their value system. I, I'm... I was a believer. I've been a believer for much of my life, but I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, the, the limitations of our own perception, like the fact that Malcolm is navigating through all this. He hears as Cole's looking right at him. I see dead people. They don't know they're dead. They're walking around like regular people. They only see what they want to see. The one question that never strikes Malcolm's mind is, could he be talking about me? There's right. no way he's talking. About me. Right. There's, there's no way he's talking about me, which is why that revelation at the end hit so hard and hit me so hard the first time I saw the film because I was like, oh my gosh, it never would have even entered into his mind that maybe this would be something that that applied to him. And you talk about, and I, th- I think it's right, the, the sort of the indictment of the adult world, I think it's also just an indictment of believing you understand everything. An indictment yeah. of believing you've got everything figured out and that your perception of things, your perception of the world is the gridlock only possible perception that exists and that you have figured everything out in this sort of very Stay concise, curious, compartmentalized way. Stay curious. Stay curious. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask Stay you this. Curious. This is this is just coming to me, and maybe it's a, a conversation we had years ago and years and years ago of discussing this movie at a different stage of life, but this literally is just <laughs> happening in real time. I think there's a real case that could be made, and I would be tempted to make it, that even Cole doesn't know that Malcolm isn't real that cole doesn't know that he's dead yeah well i thought about that 
And so here's what's funny. So uh, recognizing that it's happening in real time, I have previously viewed the film wondering if Cole believes that. There are two scenes that categorically make me believe Cole knows that Malcolm is dead. The first one is when we first see Cole. Malcolm is sitting across the street. Right. When Cole looks at him, Cole is immediately afraid. Immediately afraid. Yeah, and I, I don't. I think that's a stretch of a read there to to, to categorize that as immediately afraid. I mean, well then. Anyway, then continue, listen to the, continue. Then listen to the second scene where he retreats to the church and he is hiding in the bench and does not perk up and begin speaking to Malcolm until Malcolm very kindly begins to interact with him. Because he's sitting there quoting Latin. He's right, sitting there like right. he's surrounding himself by the statues, everything hiding, and is very resistant to uh, Malcolm. Now, granted, we don't see him interact with a number of other adults. We don't see him, you know, right. we don't see Cole interact with a number of other adults. But he has a very distinctly different sort of reaction. I guess I would just say, like, his first impressions of Malcolm are consistent with his first impressions of other creatures that we know to be ghosts. Sure. So... While I don't think it's outrageous to ask the question, I think the film does, on rewatching, substantiate that he knows Malcolm is dead. Hmm. Hmm. Um, hmm. But you know, but I mean, like, I, no, I, can, I can I can see both sides. I mean, I think I think personally, I don't find it quite as definitive, even with your interpretation of those scenes. I, I can see that interpretation lending itself to to suggesting that though anyway yeah yeah didn't mean to 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 rabbit trail us there um no 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 it's a it's a worthy question i I feel like just a final uh see i'm I'm such a i write down quotes and and thoughts and and sort of just spray them into the air and see you know kind of where things go there's this beautiful moment and goodness gracious every friggin' scene with cole and his mom is just so heartaching but where she says to him, we're, we're going to have to answer each other's prayers. And I just oh, think there's, yeah. I just think there's a way that like, that's faith, right? That's life. Yes. Yes. Like there's such a way in which we become, I've said this before on an episode where we become so non real world minded as believers that we ignore everything around us that's happening and, and that we should actually be attentive to. Like, I do yes. think there's a way in which as the hands and feet of Christ, we are responsible for answering each other's prayers. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I just found that a really interesting moment. And then the last one I had, I don't know if you've got more, but yeah, I have just one more thing, quick thing. I think Cole's ad, ad, recognition with, with the help of Malcolm, he says they just want help. Yeah. And, and what I wrote down as editorial on that was we have a call to just help the invisible people around us, man. You know, it's, it's that indictment of the adult world. If the adult world, and it is, is one that just locks into its own track and follows its own rhythm. And all of a sudden it's 10 years later and all you've done is just sort of moved through a life with no real thought or attention paid to people as close as your family, people as not close as just the people who need you right next to you, you know? Right. Um, right. I just think there's a way that the very real active we love to hyper spiritualize faithfulness and and god and calling and ministry and all these sorts of things the the bedrock to me the bedrock foundational truth is the people around you just need help yes and you are you are meant to be by what you would even perceive likely as the limited resources and talents and time that are in your possession 
to be facilitators of help to those around you. Absolutely. You know, and, absolutely. And, 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 and Cole, you know, the, the liberation that comes when he actually starts operating in this, what we would probably call calling of his. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's really lovely to watch. I mean, the scene of him in the play at the end and, and him, goodness gracious, what a beautiful moment of, of childhood exultance when he's just swinging that sword afterwards. And the, yes. the, 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 the dialogue between him and Bruce Willis of, I'm not going to see you again, am I? You yeah. Know? And he says, no, but, but we can pretend that we're going to. Yeah. My goodness. Anyway. Uh, I, that, that scene is so gorgeous and beautiful. I, I'm reluctant to even point out that that's further reason why I believe that he knows Malcolm is dead. Because he says, I'm not going to see you anymore, Emma. Cause, I'm just trying to prove your point, Reed. Just I'm talk just about the emotional element. <laughs> but the emotional element is Get gorgeous. Get sentimental with says, me. <laughs> where he says, I'll, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. Golly, it's so lovely. Uh, so I wasn't even planning to say this, but I'll just mention it kind of in passing the redemption that happens for Malcolm when he helps Cole. Yeah. Because that, you know, I didn't mention it in the scary things, although I could that opening sequence oh, my where, where Vincent shows up and, and it, it's terrifying. I do. Oh my gosh. It's terrifying. That's a freaky, freaky scene. But we know because of the similarity in like the gray tuft of the hair and sort of the visual cues that they have that Vincent was likely suffering from the same thing that Cole was suffering from. From, you know, hearing and seeing dead people and all this stuff. Um, So the redemption in Malcolm when he's talking at the end after he finally realizes his own situation and he tells his wife, he says, there was just one thing I had to do. I had to I had to help somebody. And he says, I think I did, you know, and it's like the redemption present that he was able to help Cole. That he was able to do for him what he wasn't able to do for for Vincent. And it was partially because he had kind of kind of just stepped outside of, you know, he, he believed Cole when Cole told him very bluntly, I see dead people. Now, we don't know what the situation was like when he was counseling Vincent, but we we have some degree of reason to believe that Vincent was probably pretty forthcoming about his circumstance and that Malcolm responded by saying, you're just having trouble coping with the divorce of your parents and that he dismissed that, that he did that he didn't believe the child. Right. And again, talking about this indictment of the adult world, which the further I get down this rabbit trail, the more I believe that is substantial in in the film, uh, just sort of an indictment of this holding on to it. I had a completely different scripture. I actually struggled quite a bit with the scripture verse to bring in with this, and I, I chose one that related to communication, but I think given your observation about the indictment on the adult world, I think this is the more appropriate one. So I'm going to mention Matthew chapter 18, Verses two through four is talking about Jesus. He says he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And thinking about how we as adults are so convinced that we have everything ordered, everything put together. We dismiss children. We dismiss how they think, we dismiss what they think about, we dismiss their perception of the world, and we do so at our peril because yeah. our king has told us that unless you become like them, you're missing out the kingdom of heaven entirely. And what is the kingdom of heaven as expressed in some of our favorite writings, but the grandest fairy tale, the grandest, you know, love story epic kind of thing, and Cole sliding the penny across and reminding each and every one of us who have got our head buried in the sand that some magic is real, that there are some that there are some things that are still worth feeling wondrous about and feeling 
hopeful and feeling perhaps a bit magical about. I think that there's something that we ourselves, we, we just trust what we can see. We trust what we can feel. But as, is, as Cole observed to Malcolm, they see what they want to see. Sure. And, and, and we are at limit of that. And unless we are willing to sort of break beyond our gridlocked perceptions of things and accept and listen attentively to the perceptions of other people, then we're going to be in real trouble. We do so at our own demise at times. I had said as a sort of final thought on my whole rant here, I had said before, I said, you know, an open mind, and I think I've said it on this show, that an open mind just basically is a substitute for having very few convictions. What we need is not necessarily an open mind, but an open heart and an attentive mind, a mind that is paying attention to those around us and is, as you've put it several times now, stay, staying curious about what happens beyond our own experiences and about what is taking place in the world around us that would inform something of of where we are and of what we're going through. Um, so, yeah, I think this film has a lot to say about that, about the need to listen, about the need to break out of our own perceptions and possibly even to fill ourselves with some childlike wonder. Well, it's funny, you, you even nodding that direction actually makes me think of the Shyamalan movie we covered last week and how it ends. I don't know if you remember the signs when Graham walks out of the bedroom with his clerical collar on once more. Do you remember yeah. the audio cue that happens? No, it's, what is it's it's the kids laughing and playing downstairs. Mm. It's this really lovely, yes. you know, kind yes. of restoration of wonder, if you will. The, the, yes, that that some magic is real, and and we can we can see it, and we can partake of it, and we can participate in it. Man, I cannot. And we think... can see dead people. <laughs> I cannot think of a better button on why I love the work of M Night Shyamalan. Except that he, probably more so than many other filmmakers, is continually telling us in different ways, sometimes ways that frighten us, sometimes ways that thrill us, sometimes ways that move us, sometimes ways that frustrate us, but is continually telling us some magic is real. And, yeah. and, and I, you know, I don't think he'll ever listen to this, but, you know, on the off chance he has, I, I, I love him for it. I love him as a filmmaker for it, for, for telling us in his little way that some magic is real. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate springtime for Shyamalan <laughs> so, so much. So, um, you want to, uh, bring us on home with our, with our Mr. Any like questions, just, David I feel S. Like we should like, you know, run around the studio and high five the producers and the, guy <laughs> on the camera and pete who's recording us over there and steve right, who's over there right. in the booth you know providing our sound effects. hi pete and steve <laughs> pete and steve, pete and steve. Oh, you know, there there are um tech support here at the fear of god um and was... <laughs> oh i have to make one more little more more little joke it is fun for me. I started to make this joke to you, like, do you see technical people that I don't see? You know, <laughs> uh, it's fun for me to take the phrase, I see dead people and substitute it with other things. Like two of my favorite varieties are, uh, I see stupid people walking around like regular people. They don't know they're stupid. And, uh, they're everywhere these days. <laughs> and I also love, uh, you know, my junior high self also loves, I see naked people walking around like regular people and they don't know they're naked. Wow. <laughs> On that note. Wow, that's, this is going to turn into a whole other conversation. That's not an indictment of the adult world. That's an embracing of it, brother. Um, <laughs> on that note, yes, let us dive headfirst into 
our recent but uh, wonderful ranking system, that of the David S. Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. So, as normal, we are going to rank this film on style, scares, and substance. Uh, just remember, this is springtime for Shyamalan, so don't let him down. And, That's um, right. That's I right. think for style, I mean, it is. it feels so cliche, man, but... It's a five. There's just no... uh, you're not going to get any debate from me. This is a this is a nearly flawlessly conceived and executed film. It's a five for me. Like there's there's nothing about the way this story is approached or told that I don't love. So yeah, it's 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 an easy five. I mean, for scares, like it's been years since I watched it the first time, so I'm pretty removed from it. The fact that it still causes me to clench up a bit. Um, I don't know that I would categorize it as a full on sort of horror per se. So I'm actually gonna, I'll go four on, on scares. You hit exactly where I would have hit. There are films that have terrified me more. So, you know, I think the scares are very effective. Um, but, but it's, it's definitely not like a level five. And as you said, they hold up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hold up better than even some of his other films that I also love. Um, so yeah, it's a four for me as well. And, uh, last but not least, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's a big old fat five for substance, brother. It's a five for me for substance as well. This film, every time I see it, I see something new to appreciate. I see something new to value. I see something new to talk about every single time I see this film. Um, so, so one, uh, you know, by our David S. Pumpkins meter, uh, you could, uh, you could say that there's at least one film better than The Visit, um, <laughs> because we managed to give The Sixth Sense a big old fat 9.5 wow. David S. Pumpkins. Wow. 9.5 David S. Pumpkins. I mean, so. you know, The Visit may feel a bit of a fluke, but Sixth Sense certainly earns that 9.5. Oh man, I love it. I love it so much. So, um, so yeah, 9.5, uh, unquestionably Shyamalan's greatest film. And uh, we, I, I appreciate so much you bringing up uh, Springtime for Shyamalan. If you, the listener, uh, have any thoughts on any of Shyamalan's films or on this conversation that we've been having, then we would love to hear your thoughts. Um, you can reach out to us in a variety of ways because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can follow us on Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God, brother. And you could like us on Facebook. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can uh, follow us there, comment on our posts, posts something yourself we'd welcome you to do that um you can also follow me on twitter at reed lackey and nathan where can they find you on twitter besides the fear of god at the nathan rouse you can also uh, go to more than one lesson.com and leave a comment on our official post for this or any of our other episodes you can email us fear of god podcast at gmail.com that's all one word fear of god podcast at gmail.com and uh you could also leave us a review on itunes if you enjoy what the kind of content we bring to you every week we would love that uh, please leave us a review on itunes and otherwise we would just in any way possible we would just love to hear from you and i'm a little sad to leave springtime for Shyamalan behind. Um, but I'm with you. We, uh, we have some bigger and better things to move on to. Uh, we have not completely forgotten about our Universal Monster films that we are covering through the course of this year. Um, not sure if we'll be heading there next week or if we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks, but we will be returning to that very soon. Uh, so please check out social media to find out where we're going to be going next. And uh, as always, Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for suggesting this series. This has been a blast. Yes, it's been a load of fun. Good to see you and talk to you and be heard by all of y'all. Catch you later, guys. See you next week. Bye.